Hi, this is Jacqueline Smith. You're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Roberts with a reminder that the next edition of TV Confidential will premiere next week on this station at the usual time. If all goes well, our guests will include Lorraine Newman, one of the original not ready for primetime players of NBC Saturday Night Live. You'll be joining us for that in the meantime. And speaking of Saturday Night Live, we will close out this week's program by playing a clip from a conversation that originally aired in June 2012 with longtime television writer and producer David Mish. David began his career in showbiz writing for such TV series as Mork and Mindy, Police Squad, and Saturday Night Live. At the time we recorded this conversation with David, David had just released Funny the Book, Funny the Book, which is about everything you ever wanted to know about comedy from a, a historical angle, a sociological angle, a psychological angle, every sort of angle you can think of. And you can find Funny the Book in bookstores everywhere, as well as Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, DavidMish.com, FunnyTheBook.com, and wherever books are sold online. As we pick up the conversation, David and I are talking about some of the great comedians of the 1970s, including Richard Pryor, George Carlin, and Red Fox. For whatever reason, up until recent time, it seemed there were more male comics than female comics. Oh, immensely more, and I think it really was straightforward sexism. You know, people talk, uh, I don't know how many of your listeners will remember, but Red Fox was a famous black comedian, mm -hmm. very, very dirty. And uh, at the same time he was around, Moms Mabley was around, <clears throat> and she was just as dirty. She's really the spiritual foremother of uh, Whoopi Goldberg. But she was dirty, she was tough, she was aggressive, just essentially a female Red Fox, or he was a male Moms Mabel. Mm -hmm. But she didn't get anywhere near the fame and fortune that, that Fox got. But, you know, as I say, things are changing. This calendar year 2012 is the 40th anniversary of George Carlin's famous seven words you can't say on television routine. And for the most part, you still can't say any of the seven words on broadcast television. But at the same time... It seems to me that the standards on network television in particular have, have changed and the bar has lowered at least uh, on a lot of network comedies that are coming out of the box today. What are your thoughts uh, on that subject? You know, the, things have changed. Things have loosened up without question. Uh, but Carlin is still pretty cutting edge. And when he did it then, it was obviously not just a shocking uh, routine but uh, one that actually went to the Supreme Court where it lost. Uh, he did not have the right to say those words, uh, in this case, on radio. It was a radio station that had uh, replayed part of the routine. And I thought that Lenny Bruce, had, who obviously was the spiritual forefather of uh, George Carlin, mm -hmm. Lenny Bruce had a great line about it. He said, the problem is if you can't say, then you can't say the government. That's right. You just can't be... Uh, drawing those lines. Now, they talk about the vulnerability of children. I suppose there's a point there, and maybe there's a time of night that uh, uh, you should wait until uh, that time to do the language. But, you know, there's this magical thing called the off button, and if you have kids in the house, keep that off button on. To me, censorship is generally speaking bad because there's no definitive way to employ it. And I actually think it gets into something that's key to the book, which is the mythological character Trickster. Mm -hmm. All comedians come from Trickster. And the idea of Trickster was that he was the upender of order. He was uh, the sower of chaos, the threat to society. Trickster always screws with people and screws with conventions and screws with rules. That's what comedians do. 
So when they screw with a rule you don't like, that's hilarious. When they screw with a rule you do like or with someone you do like, you get offended. But you can't draw that kind of line. If you don't like it, then don't listen to that comedian. But that's what they do. That's what we do. Our whole purpose, the self-appointed purpose of comedians, is to sow disorder, is to make people think about things, to play with words, to play with concepts, so that you have to reorder your thinking to get the joke. I want to bring up another trickster, Richard Pryor, while we're on the subject of race and comedy. But before I do that, there's a final point to Carlin and the seven words I want to make. The genius of Carlin's seven words routine, just as the genius of just about every routine that Carlin did, was that he wasn't being gratuitous in saying the words. He was explaining what it was about the words that if you put the words in a certain context and you took them out of context, there's humor in them. With 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 uh, with the use of vagina on shows like Two Broke Girls, it just seems gratuitous. I agree, and you know what, Carlin talk about playing with language. That was George Carlin. Mm-hmm. Again, people may remember individual routines, but what he was about, and he couldn't have been more upfront about this, is he loved exploring language. Mm-hmm. He loved breaking down words, figuring out why some were offensive, some weren't, but also have nothing to do with obscenity, just words like the word stuff. He had a great routine about the word stuff, mm-hmm. and he would talk about uh, what he called um, uh, soft language, where you try and take something offensive and make it sound better. Patagonian toothfish becomes Chilean sea bass. <laughs> uh, the, the, dump, uh, the, land, uh, the dump becomes the landfill. Yeah. So he was one wonderful about uh, dissecting language, and that's what the Seven Dirty Words routine was about. Richard Pryor, I mean, he was another guy who um, pushed boundaries uh, with, the, with his use of language and also through social commentary, but you say in Funny the Book that the real genius of Richard Pryor was the way he used his, uh, his own vulnerability in the act. Yeah, you know, Eddie Murphy, uh, when he started out as a comic, he said he owed everything to Pryor. And I felt that Murphy had skimmed superficially over who Richard Pryor was. He got the thing about black-white relations. He got the thing about swearing. He didn't get the fact that Richard Pryor was opening himself for us Mm -hmm. to look at. And there's a great quote in the book from a black comedian named D.L. Hughley, who said, most people spend their lives trying to hide what they're afraid of from people. Richard spent his life showing people what he was afraid of. And through all his routines, this intense vulnerability shines through, and that's what ties us to him. That's what makes him universal. Even when he's speaking entirely from the black perspective, Mm -hmm. white people still got him, felt for him, and and empathized with him, which makes no sense and is just, you know, I think genius. Uh, His most famous routine, and I think the routine in the act of the 20th century for comedy, the best, was um, when he imitates his own heart trying to kill him in the middle of a heart attack. <laughs> and this, to me, sums up another one of the book's secret uh, themes, which is uh, summed up at the end, which is that comedy is really about death. Comedy is about laughing in the face of death, proving we're alive by proving our most vital part, which is, which is uh, among them, is, is humor. And prior showing the moments of near death filled with comedy. Your mind is just blown watching this routine, and uh, the whole act is wonderful. It's, uh, you can get it uh, on uh, video. It's Richard Pryor live in concert from 1979. Anyway, uh, that's what I think makes Pryor stand out from other comedians who have sworn and have talked about racism. 
because he and he also had a huge amount about uh, male-female relationships, mm -hmm. and he always did it while showing his own frailties and insecurities. Yeah, and again, it's, it's what we it's, it's what we said before in regards to the seven words and the lowering of the bar on in certain network television shows, uh, certain certain network comedy shows these days. It's not just the use of the words; it's the context in which you use the word and the, and, and the character that you're conveying in saying the words. That's what yep. makes that, that that that's what makes it funny. Absolutely. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Let's see. Real quickly, one of my favorite chapters in the book is is, is your chapter on Buster Keaton. We we did a program ah. we did a program a few weeks ago, David, where uh, we discussed uh, Chaplin, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and it seems there's it, it seems to me anyway, and I think there are some schools of thought uh, along these lines. There's a line of demarcation where you either like Chaplin or you like Keaton. But not necessarily both. But you say debates like that are like choosing between John Lennon and Paul McCartney. What do you mean by that? Well, um, most people like the Beatles, uh, but w the more you get into them, you realize that there were two very distinctive strains within them. Lennon was more acerbic and uh, sort of hard-edged in his music and his lyrics, and McCartney was a little more sentimental, although both could go very much against their own stereotypes when they wanted to and did. But in the same way, you know, if you like the Beatles, then you essentially like them both, and it's only if you dig deeper you might favor one over the other. Same with Chaplin and Keaton. There is a little difference, though, because Chaplin is, in a way that, uh, more than Keaton, in a way that McCartney was not more than Lennon. I think Chaplin's more accessible. Chaplin, basically everyone loves. Uh, everyone, not just in uh, our culture of all ages, but in all cultures. He was, at the time, the world's biggest superstar, and his, the, the amount of his fame probably isn't matched even today by any uh, performers. Keaton was less well-known. He was still very famous, still very popular, but he requires a whole different uh, empathetic uh, challenge because Keaton didn't give. Chaplin, you could tell when he was sad, you can tell when he was in terrible circumstances, when he was love-struck or something like that. Keaton gives you almost nothing. The great stone face is what he was called. And he did that because he said early in his career he discovered that people laughed more when he didn't show, give any expression. But it, what he did that I think is so much subtler and more, more interesting and more modern is he draws the viewer in. Mm -hmm. He doesn't ask you for anything. He says, here I am. You want me? You come and get me. You figure out what's going on here. And there's actually a corollary with Steve Martin, who famously for his stand-up act decided he was not going to do the standard thing of telling people when the joke ended. Mm -hmm. You had to figure that out for yourself. And by forcing the audience to do a little more work than normal, you pull them in more than normal, with the exception of people who don't want to do the work and stand back and say, that's not funny. So that's why I think Keaton is so spectacular and, as I say, very modern. Even if you love Chaplin, there's this Victorian sentimentality about him that is sort of foreign to today's uh, emotional climate, whereas Keaton, with, you know, with his complete deadpan, it can never be foreign. You always read in what you want. Which goes back to one of the basic premises of Funny the Book, which is there is a lot more thought to the subject of humor than meets the eye. Well, one of the, the basic themes of the book is respect for comedy. I think uh, everyone loves comedy, but most people sort of dismiss it. You know, I can make my uncle laugh by putting a lampshade on my head, <laughs> so what's so special about comedy? But doing it professionally requires a huge amount of work. 
I often say that the worst sitcom on TV, you, you look at it and say, that's just crap. There are some of the most talented people in the world slaving away all night in, a, in an office uh, who are doing it, and it can often be not funny for reasons that have nothing to do with the talent of the people behind them. Uh, I think that comedy just requires enormous effort and uh, understanding the amount of work that goes into it and the significance of it is uh, will make you as respectful of it as of uh, of drama that you know some like it hot is the equal of death of a salesman final question david you've done funny the book can funny the movie be far behind i assume not i'll be getting the call <laughs> i would assume any moment <laughs> david this is bit... funny the sequel yes funny funny the sequel there you go funny the book by david mish is available amazon.com wherever books are sold online you can hear more of our conversation with david mish on the TV Confidential Podcast. You can find the TV Confidential Podcast for free wherever podcasts are found. A reminder that Flynn and Miranda, Lynn and Miranda, Your Right to Remain Silent by Joseph Wallenstein is available at Amazon.com wherever books are sold online, as is Chuck Carter's book, Mr. Novak, an acclaimed television series, also available Amazon.com as well as MrNovakBook.com for more information on Chuck Carter's upcoming book on actress Lila Leaves. Go to Lila Leaves book.com lila leadsbook.com to keep up with allison mills newman you can follow allison on facebook as well as allison m newman.com and keep faith film ministries.com they'll do it for our program this week folks ed robertson rapper tony figueroa donna allen phil grace and greg erebar thank you so much for listening stay healthy stay safe we'll talk to you next time on tv confidential this portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty Group, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.